Minneapolis sets up an autonomous zone in the wake of the trial the media seems to want you to forget is even going on. So we'll talk a bit about what's happening there and in the trial as well in other news. David Cicilline and Marjorie Taylor Greene get into a little bit of a shouting match because the media seems to give a damn about a first-term congresswoman who has no committee assignments. A sweeping gun registration bill goes through the House, so we'll talk a bit about what's in there and... A strange phenomenon where five newspapers owned by the same company, the USA Today, all run the same headline right in a row. So we'll talk a bit about what happens there. Plus, keep in mind, if you chat in the live chat today, you'll at least get your name read. And if your comment is sufficiently stupid, it will raise the intellectual level of this program. So don't sit by and, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Don't sit by and lurk today. Just make sure you get those chats in there. I'm Jay Edgar. And this is Contemporary. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We don't have the Instagram feed going up here yet, so let's get that taken care of here. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to today, and I am running way behind here. I was getting everything set up and getting the names of everybody who chatted in the week written down here for you guys. And Quest Fanning messaged me over on Twitter and asked me when Contemporary started, and I looked down and realized it was 7.50, and I hadn't even begun to get started here yet. So we're running a little bit behind right now, but we've still got a bunch of stuff to get to today. We've got to make sure that we get through all of it here, including everything that's going on with this Chauvin trial, because from the looks of everything we saw over the last couple days, 28 tabs, as soon as they start doing the Chauvin trial every day, means that they don't want you to pay attention to this, which kind of tells me that this does not going to go the way that it, they think it's going to go. So we'll discuss what's going on with that, what that means for us, and what that means for the people of this country here. But before we do that, make sure you head on over and check out all my friends who stream as a part of the Freedom Scoop Media Group. We are still under construction right now, getting that last... Uh, those last-minute bugs worked out so we can get you the best website experience possible. But as long as we're under construction, still go and check out all my friends. The Daily Ignoramus, The Freckles and Brit Show, The Generational Gap, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, and The R-Rated Conservative. Head on over there, prepare to pick up some of our swag and help us support great creators, and bookmark the page, freedomscoop.com. All right, looking in at the stocks for the day here, we have got... <clears throat> Looks like we shot up to another record high yesterday, but kind of started to falter off towards the end of the day. So we'll talk a bit about what's going on with that. Uh, I know the stimulus being out there is going to be one of the things that holds it up. But the looming Chauvin trial and the fact that there's probably going to be some unrest coming throughout the rest of the country tells me that on the other side of this, we actually may see a little bit of a downtrend here. The investors have some stuff to say about that. And CNN has a lot of fluff to say about that. So let's move into that. First, looking at the Bitcoin as well, looking at the fact that that has now gone up once again. One Bitcoin is now 55873 US dollars and 90 US cents as we continue to print our way out of the pandemic that, well, 
some people say was planned from the government top down, and I don't say that that's a possibility, but I will... Wait, let me rephrase that. I don't say that that's what happened, but I'll at least hear you out on that. So, looks like that's going to continue to rise here as the government continues to print more money. Uh, gas is holding steady at 245 at the Costco in Sun Prairie. It, that is the only place right now that is holding the 245. Everyone else has moved to 249, and for the most part, only a couple of these are in Madison proper. Everything else is over on the north side of Madison at 249. So gas is still continuing to come up all around that metro area. Let's see what IBD has to say. Dow Jones futures, rising treasury yields, hit tech stocks after Microsoft, Google flash buy signals, vaccine maker spikes. From Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures rose modestly early Friday, while S&P 500 futures fell slightly and NASDAQ futures tumbled as Treasury yields ticked up again, but NASDAQ futures paired losses. The stock market rally had a strong session Thursday as the S&P 500 index and Russell 2000 joined the Dow Jones in new high ground. The NASDAQ composite led with a strong gain, but volume was light. Our stellar middle stock and Regal Benoit were among several blue dot breakouts on Thursday. While Microsoft stock, Google, Parent Alphabet, and Dynatrace flashed buy signals. On Wednesday, IBD declared that the uptrend has resumed with the Dow closing at a new high and many real economy stocks breaking out. The stock market rally broadened Thursday. NASDAQ made a strong move, retaking some key levels, though it did not qualify as a follow-through day. Growth stocks rebound, uh, rebounded. After the close, DocuSign and Ulta uh, Beauty headlined key earnings reports. Docu fell early Friday despite strong results and guidance. Ulta stock plunged on a weak outlook and the CEO's exit. Meanwhile, Novavax reported a 96.4 efficacy rate versus the original coronavirus strain in final analysis as of a Phase 3 UK trial. And back stock jumped overnight. There you go. Another vaccine right for your arm. Global steel giant ArcelorMittal, power generator and motor maker Regal Benoit, contract electronics manufacturer Jabil Circuit, new shipping IPO Zim Integrated Shipping Services, and Discover Financial all broke out on Thursday. MT Stock and others all have relative strength lines at new highs, reflecting their outperformance versus the S&P 500 index. RS Lines at new highs while still in a base or breaking out, is an especially bullish trend, so MarketSmith marks such stocks with a blue-shaded uh, dot at the end of the RS line. Meanwhile, Dynatrace broke a downtrend, flashing a buy signal. Microsoft reclaimed a buy point and moved back at some other levels. Google stock flashed some early buy signals. Our seller middle stock, Regal Benoit, Discover, and Google joined Microsoft on the IBD leaderboard. Microsoft stock is an IBD long-term leader. Google stock is on the IBD 50 list. RBC stock was Thursday's IBD stock of the day. On the futures, futures rose 0.3% versus fair value. S&P 500 futures fell 0.2%. NASDAQ 100 futures tumbled 1.2% after being down more than 2% at one point overnight. Watch your tech. The 10-year Treasury yield rose 6 basis points to 1.59%. Back near a 13-month high, the 10-year yield rose at least 1.61% early Friday. And remember, overnight action in Dow Futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session.
Let's see what CNN has to say about this. The Dow and S&P 500 roared record highs as tech stocks rally again. From Anakin Tape. Wall Street was on a tear again Thursday with tech stocks surging and both the Dow and the S&P 500 notching fresh record highs. Well, that aged well. The Dow finished up 0.6% or 189 points while the S&P closed 1% higher. The tech-heavy Nasdaq scored its biggest gains of the day, rising 2.5%. Spring has sprung, and equity investors are in the spirit. They're feeling optimistic about the $1.9 trillion stimulus package Congress passed this week and signed into law by President Biden earlier in the day, as well as the eventual reopening of the economy. Oh yeah. Oh, we'll get, I'll get yelling about that later. Trends related to COVID continue to show improvement on both a national and international basis as vaccine doses continue to pile up across the country said Bespoke Investments' Paul Hickey. Bond yields, which climbed recently on worries that an inflation spike would force the Federal Reserve to raise rates sooner than later, have fallen back. Those fears were calmed in a part by Wednesday's inflation report, which was in line with uh, economists' expectations. The 10-year Treasury yield was up about 0.01% at 1.53%, Around the time of the stock market close on Thursday, bond yields and prices moved in opposite to each other. It's becoming clear that investors are not sure what to do with stocks at these levels. Fawad Razakzada, market analyst at Think Markets, wrote in a note to clients. Some are still keen to keep buying equities, especially those sensitive to the economy ahead of the arrival of stimulus checks. Razakzada said, uh, added, well, Others are happy to book profit after a remarkable rally over the past year or so. Thursday's economic data also helped shore up optimism. Weekly first-time claims for unemployment benefits came in lower than economists had predicted, and they also fell from the prior week. It might be a sign that the U.S. jobs recovery is finally getting steam. That's definitely a possibility because it's getting warm. The seasonal jobs are going to start coming out. There's still a lot of restriction there, but a lot of the other governors are also telling the federal government to fuck itself. And they're getting rid of their mandates and everything else. Nobody's afraid of this anymore. And like I said a couple days ago, your Texases, your Mississippis, your places like that are actually going to... They're going to benefit from this. Their tourism is going to go there and... As people like Tony Evers look at the Wisconsin Dells and realize nobody's going there, they're all going to Texas, he's going to look at this and say, oh shit, people want to go without their masks on. I guess I better open back up too. So a lot of things to see coming up here. Of course, we're also going to look at the fact that they're doing this with Biden in office and they couldn't do this before, but hey, you know, we'll talk about that in just a bit here. We got to talk about Minneapolis because that's going to be the one to watch right now. From the New York Post, starting off the day, George Floyd Memorial site reportedly now an anti-cop autonomous zone. I doubt it's autonomous. From Leah Ustowich. Left-wing militants have reportedly turned a memorial site for George Floyd in Minneapolis into a volatile autonomous zone, where police and even other protesters aren't welcome. The memorial, called George Floyd Square, popped up in the days after the 46-year-old's police-involved death on May 25th, the catalyst for a global movement against police brutality and racial inequality. No, that's not exactly true. 
it was the catalyst for the protest, but not for the movement. That was Michael Brown. But hey, let's go and memory hole that again because that happened under Barack. And we can't talk about that right now. But since then, a militant-style group has taken over the block's long site, creating a hostile situation for authorities and protesters alike. News Nation now reported, The situation at the memorial, from what I understand, is kind of volatile. Kim Griffin, a Minneapolis resident, told the outlet, People that want to go and support doesn't feel a sense of inclusion. Probably don't feel a sense of inclusion. There's more like, uh, more of like a militant-type atmosphere over there and a sense of fear. Griffin said her nephew, Imez Wright, was gunned down within the zone over the weekend and that activists blocks co uh, blocked cops from responding. Police were not allowed to get into the area. He was carried out to the outside of the zone of George Floyd Square, she said. It was made clear law enforcement was not welcome to penetrate that zone, which is an atrocity because his life was taken. And I mean, who knows whether or not he would have survived had things been different. News Nation Now reporter Brian Enton was recently reporting from the Autonomous Zone, which surrounds East 38th Street and Chicago Avenue, where Floyd was killed when he was confronted by two activists dressed all in black. We're media, Enton said, according to a video he posted on Twitter. I don't give a fuck who you are, one of the protesters replied. You need to get in your car and go. Those guarding the zone have refused to reopen the area unless all city, uh, the city rather, meets a list of 24 demands, including recalling the, uh, the county prosecutor and dedicating hundreds of thousands of dollars into fighting racism, supporting affordable housing, and creating jobs, the network reported. The activists want the area to remain closed until trials are held, or the three other officers charged in Floyd's death. Those are scheduled for August. No, they are not going to hold that area for six months. I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen. Look how fast the Chaz crumbled. As soon as people started dying and people started realizing that it was completely lawless and people were getting raped left and fucking right. No, that's, that's not going to hold. And once again, Minneapolis, all they have to do is shut the power and water off and wait until everyone's cell phone dies. The thing about it is that a lot of the different demands are asked from different people and black folks aren't monolithic said Janelle Austin, a leader of the Autonomous Zone. So it's really incumbent upon our city leadership to really look at the needs behind all the asks and really fulfilling those needs. But the city has vowed to reopen the zone after the trial for Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer charged in Floyd's murder, wraps up. City Councilwoman Andrea Jenkins said some residents have complained about gunshots and helicopters flying overhead. They're going to try and make this happen, and I don't think that Kamala Harris is going to let this happen under her watch. I got this funny feeling that the guard is going to be involved at this point, at some point soon. She said cops have faced protest, resistance, opposition from occupants in the zone, prompting them to avoid policing the area. Last year, there were 19 non-fatal shootings in the area, 14 of which occurring between May 1st and August 31st. News station now said... There were just three shootings in 2019. <clears throat> Marsha Howard, a retired Marine who quit her job as a teacher to become one of the zone's organizers, claimed that cops haven't been impeded. Injustice closed these streets and only justice can open them back up, Howard told News Station Now. This one's going to get ugly, folks. 
This one's going to get ugly. A similar protest area, dubbed the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or CHAZ, formed in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood last year. Activists are frequently clashed with police until the lawless zone was dismantled after a month of occupation. So, that's what's happening up in Minneapolis, and uh, it's going to be... Yeah, this one's not going to end well. President Harris is not going to let this happen on her watch. So, definitely, definitely going to be watching this one here as they go along. And like I said before, it's the media does seem to be trying to make it so you don't see that this trial is going on. To try and push this out of, I mean, we're looking at the stimulus, we're looking at uh, speeches by Biden, we're looking at uh, HR 8, we'll talk about that. But a bunch of stuff they tried to cram in this week, so you didn't talk about the jury selection and what happened in Minneapolis. Which we're going to do anyway, because I don't give a fuck what the media thinks. From Box 9 out of KMSP. Live Derek Chauvin trial jury selection resumes. Eight seats remain from Box 9 staff. There will be no hearing on preliminary motions on Friday. Court proceedings will start at 9 a.m. with jury selection. The trial is being streamed live, gavel to gavel, at fox9.com slash live. So, this is where the jury selection currently stands. Six jurors are seated, five men, one woman. A total of 14 jurors, 12, and two alternates are needed to start the trial. Defense dismissed seven jurors. They have eight preemptory, uh, peremptory challenges rather remaining. Prosecutors dismissed four jurors. They have five peremptory challenges remaining. Judge has dismissed five jurors for cause. On Thursday, seven jurors took the stand. One juror was seated and six others were dismissed. On Wednesday, seven jurors were questioned with two seated and five dismissed. Nine jurors were questioned on Tuesday with three seated and six others dismissed. Peter Cahill told the selected jurors to go home and not to do any reading or research about the case in the coming weeks. He told them to report back to the courthouse on March 29th at 9 a.m., saying he's confident the trial will begin at that time. Each prospective juror was assigned a randomized number when they filled out the 14-page questionnaire, which asked them about their knowledge of the case, police connections and attitudes toward the justice system, as well as their media habits. Both sides agreed to dismiss 16 of the first 15 prospective jurors for cause on Monday based on the answers to the questionnaire. Jurors selected so far. Number two, white man in his 20s or 30s. Chemist, considered himself a logical person. Has not seen any of uh, the videos of Floyd's deadly arrest, but he did visit the memorial at 38th and Chicago with his fiancée. Number nine, multiracial woman in her 20s or 30s, originally from northern Minnesota. Said she was excited to be summoned for jury duty, especially when she found out which case was involved. Number 19, white man in his 30s. Auditor described himself as honest and straightforward. He has a friend who is a Minneapolis police officer, but has not talked to him about the case or seen him since the pandemic began. Number 20, white man in his late 30s or 40s, originally from central Minnesota, works in sales. Getting married on May 1st, but accepts the, the wedding date might get pushed back. Friends with one of the listed witnesses, a BCA forensic scientist. Number 27, black man in his 30s or 40s, works in IT. Immigrated to the U.S. about 14 years ago, moved to the U.S. in 2012. Married, no children. Prosecutors asked him what he thinks of the defund police movement. He indicated he opposes the idea. 
Number 36, Hispanic man in late 20s to mid 30s, works as a route driver. Likes soccer and listening to true crime prod, uh, podcasts. Thinks media reports can be biased. One of his jury, uh, on his rather jury questionnaire, he wrote that Chauvin was just showing off his authority by continuing to kneel, but also felt Floyd could have avoided the situation by complying with police. Or, alternately, not having enough fentanyl to kill an elephant in his fucking system. That might have uh, alleviated the situation as well. So that's where we're sitting with the jurors. Let's have a look at what uh, CNN has to say about this. Judge reinstates third-degree murder charge against Derek Chauvin in George Floyd's death. From Brad Parks, Aaron Cooper, and Eric Levinson. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin now faces an additional murder charge in the death of George Floyd after a Hennepin County judge reinstated a count of third-degree murder on Thursday. Chauvin already faced charges of second-degree unintentional murder and second-degree manslaughter. He has pleaded not guilty to all three charges. They actually might get him on man two. That's actually a possibility. I don't know if they will or not. I My prediction on this is hung jury. That's what I'm going to see come from this. This is going to be... They have enough jurors on both sides that they uh, they can't get it to go one way or the other. That's what I see coming from this one. The added charge provides prosecutors a third potential pathway to conviction in the closely watched case, which began Tuesday with jury selection and heavily uh, at the heavily fortified Hennepin County Government Center. The charge of third-degree murder, in addition to manslaughter and felony murder, reflects the gravity of the allegations against Mr. Chauvin. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison said in a statement, We look forward to presenting all three charges to the jury. And you know he's going to be one of the people right on the prosecution team. Attorneys Ben Crump and Antonio Romanucci said in a statement Thursday night that they're gratified the judge has included the third-degree murder charge. And of course, it's Ben Crump, because it wouldn't be anybody other than Ben Crump. The trial is very painful, and the family needs closure. We're pleased that all judicial avenues are being explored and that the trial will move forward, the statement read. Chauvin was initially charged with third-degree murder in the days after Floyd's May 2020 death, but Hennepin County District Court Judge Peter Cahill dismissed the count in October, saying it did not apply to this case. However, an appeals court ruling in February in the case against the former Minneapolis police officer, Mohamed Noor, opened the door to reinstating the charge against Chauvin, and the state subsequently filed an appeal of Cahill's ruling. The Minnesota Court of Appeals ordered Cahill to reconsider the motion to reinstate the charge last week. On Wednesday, the Minnesota Supreme Court refused a request by Chauvin's attorney to block the appellate court's decisions, clearing the way for Cahill to reinstate the charge. Um, or I'm sorry, in court on Thursday, Chauvin's defense attorney, Eric Nelson, argued that Noor's case was factually and procedurally different than Chauvin's interactions with Floyd, in which he knelt on Floyd's head and neck area for an extended period. However, the prosecutors argued the judge was bound to follow the appeals court's precedent in Noor. Judge Cahill ruled Thursday morning that he accepted the appeals court ruling that the opinion in Noor's case immediately set a precedent, then he ruled to reinstate the charge. So, at that point, we have second-degree murder, felony, with intent, and I don't think that there's any way in hell that that one even sticks. Uh, man 2, that's actually a maybe. 
that actually might stick. And third degree murder, which I'm not up on my law enough to know where third degree stands with that, but I know that we've talked enough about second degree that it does require intent. So, uh, oh, actually we can see what the charges mean right there. Third degree murder, sometimes known as depraved mind or depraved heart murder, generally applies to a case in which a person does something eminently dangerous to others without regard for human life, such as randomly firing into a crowd or di uh, driving on the wrong side of the road. Given that the fact that this was in the police training manual for him to use that chokehold, I don't think third-degree murder actually holds with this one. I'm pretty positive that that one's going to go away, too, with this definition here, known as depraved mind or depraved heart. If he is, in fact, following the training that's in the Minnesota training manual, then there's no way that they can bring this forward and say that he was doing something recklessly to endanger somebody. The second-degree murder charge alleges, rather, that Chauvin unintentionally caused Floyd's death while committing third-degree assault. And the second-degree manslaughter charge alleges that Chauvin caused Floyd's death by his culpable negligence. That's a maybe. But once again, once we go with the uh, training manual for the police, that one's going to be a hard one to hit, too. But that one is a maybe. The other two, there's, there's no way. There is no way. And I'm not a fan of the fact that this interaction, this police interaction, even happened because of the laws on the books about counterfeit bills. Technically, that's theft. I understand that because you're paying for something with a note that has no value, kind of like when you pay for anything with the U.S. dollar. But the level that they were going to over a petty theft charge, this trial should not even be happening. Because once again, and I, I often say this, there are way too many laws on the books. But here we sit. Uh, if convicted, Chauvin could face up to 40 years in prison for second-degree murder, up to 25 for third-degree, and up to 10 for second-degree manslaughter. The charges are considered separate, so Chauvin could be convicted of all or some or none of them. David Weinstein, a former prosecutor who has closely followed the case, said that the charges each represent a different level of intent, so jurors will have more options to consider during deliberations. Yeah, this sounds a lot more to me like throwing a pot of spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Choices like this can also allow for a compromise verdict by the jury, he said. The defense would have preferred an all-or-nothing choice for jurors. So... That's what we're seeing with this here. Let's see what else we have here. I got a couple more on the Chauvin thing, and then we're going to move on and talk about some other stuff. From Fox News, Derek Chauvin trial dismissed juror says George Floyd video made her cry. Rioting necessary in BLM movement. From Danielle Wallace. As jury selection continued for a third day and Thursday, in the trial for ex-Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, one juror was dismissed by the court with case uh, cause rather after explaining that she could not unsee what she described as the traumatizing bystander video showing a knee pressed onto George Floyd's neck and stating that the rioting that followed his death was necessary to advance the BLM movement. Yeah, I wonder why she got dismissed.
Hennepin County Judge Peter K. Hill dismissed the woman identified as juror number 37, expressing doubts that she could reasonably presume Chauvin is innocent until proven guilty. By the end of the day, Wednesday, five jurors, out of ultimately 14 sought, had been seated, and questioning continues on Thursday. So, yeah, it's going to be, with the way the media has framed this, seating 14 jurors is going to be a Herculean task by any stretch of the imagination, especially in Minneapolis. That's going to be the hard one here. Hard left Minneapolis. They, they're trying to find 14 people who can presume innocence until proven guilty. We're going to be watching jury selection for a long, long, long time. So that's what we've got to take away from this here. Let's keep going because we've got a bunch more to get to, and we're already a half an hour in. And I've got one here from NPR. Possibility of an unpopular verdict makes some in the show of trial jury pool nervous. This was heard on All Things Considered by Layla Fadel. And make sure that you give your donations to NPR. They need your money so they can continue to spread the progressive message of progressivism. Because the left is no longer progressive, they're regressive. But don't forget, NPR is supported, like PBS, by viewers like you. Here is the transcript of this. Several members of the jury pool in the Derek Chauvin case have said they fear retribution if they were to render an unpopular verdict. Uh, Mary Louise Kelly says it's the first criminal trial in Minnesota to be broadcast live in its entirety. That is just one indication of the public interest in the murder charge against Derek Chauvin. He's the former police officer filmed with his knee on George Floyd's neck for more than eight minutes. That video spread around the world and sparked global protests. So, being a juror on such a high-profile case could feel overwhelming, maybe even a little scary. So far, six jurors have been chosen, and NPR's Layla Fidel is here to talk about this. Hey, Layla. Layla says hi. Kelly, so I'm thinking, yeah, if you're being interviewed to serve on potentially the most historic trial of our time involving race and policing, that would feel like a privilege, but it also might, well, feel a little overwhelming. Fidel replies, Right, I mean, I'll just start with what prospective juror sees walking to the county government center. And that's the building where the courtroom is. It's being outfitted specifically for this case being tried in the midst of a pandemic. The building is encased by fencing, razor wire on the top, National Guardsmen outside, military-style vehicles, and then when you get into that courtroom, it's being broadcast live. Prospective jurors' names are withheld, their faces don't appear on camera, but we can hear their voices. And there was one young woman on the first day of jury selection who was clearly nervous. He told the judge he was comfortable... Here he is responding to one of the lawyers asking him the question. Soundbite archived. The case itself is just very, this whole thing is just very divisive, and I'm not a divisive person. I don't, I just feel like I'd rather not be a part of something that's so two-sided. You can hear he sounds nervous. Was that something you heard from other prospective jurors? Yeah, I mean, some jurors were actually really excited at the prospect of serving on a historic jury. And then others were nervous, like this young man, this case sparked a national conversation on systemic racism, on who gets to protest and who gets to feel safe with law enforcement and who doesn't. Over the past year, we saw Black Lives Matter protesters demonized, largely by the right, as violent rioters, despite the fact that the vast majority of protests have been peaceful. In Minneapolis, buildings did burn. Law enforcement used rubber bullets and tear gas. So, yeah, and I, I can see where people wouldn't want to be involved with this, because you're absolutely right. They're 
some of these people are getting death threats at this point. And that's part of the reason I do think that there's going to be a hung jury from this is because there are people who are going to stand on principle and there's no way, there's no way in hell that Ellison has enough to hit any of these three charges, except maybe the man too, but even that one's going to be a stretch based on what CNN reported. So there are people who are going to stand on principle and there are others that are looking at this saying, come on, man, I got a family. Something's going to happen to these people because somebody's going to find out that I'm the juror. Come on, man. Seriously. So that's, uh, that's definitely a concern to carry with this. Let's keep going here. We're going to move on into Biden's speech. First off, President Biden signed the American Rescue Plan into law on Thursday at the Oval Office. The $1.9 trillion package includes new stimulus checks for many Americans and money for COVID-19 vaccine distribution. Gotta love how they're not going to let him answer any questions, don't you? I mean, they're trying. The reporters are out there trying to ask him a bunch of questions, but uh, he's just going to sign that shit and go. And there's your $1.9 trillion spending package that boosts us up to $30 trillion in national debt. Gotta love that, you guys. All right. Let's throw another one here from NPR for you guys. Biden sets goal of July 4th to mark independence from coronavirus. Don't forget, we've got two articles, so you've got to donate twice as much. Those are the rules. And NPR needs your money. Remember, they are funded in part by viewers like you. From Domenico Montanaro and Chloe Weiner. President Biden is aiming for the country to begin to find a degree of normalcy and begin to move on from the coronavirus pandemic by July 4th. Biden announced in his first primetime address on Thursday from the White House on the one-year anniversary of the pandemic. Biden said meeting a goal of small family gatherings will make this Independence Day truly special. It would not only mark our independence as a nation, but mark our independence from the virus, the president said. Biden stressed that he was not calling for gatherings of large groups, however, and he warned that getting there would take work by all Americans continuing social distancing, wearing masks, and getting vaccinated. I need you, Biden stressed, calling for Americans to come together in unity of purpose and describing his approach as putting the country on a war footing to get the job done. Part of that confidence is rooted, Biden said, in projecting that all Americans will be eligible to get a vaccine by May 1st. Not everyone will be able to get a vaccine by that date, but he said, but everyone will be able to get in line by then. You guys ready to go get your vaccine? May 1st, you're all going to be eligible. Go get that vaccine. Go on. Go on, guys. Go get it. Dude, fuck this, dude. All right? Seriously. He's coming out and telling people that you're going to be free to do what a lot of these people have been doing for the entire time of the commie fucking coup. I haven't missed a day of work. I hope you guys know. Everyone I know 
has gone to work every single day. There are a few people I know that have worked from home, but for the most part, everyone's gone to work every single day. And yes, I do see that there are other people out there who have lost jobs over this. We were losing nearly a million jobs every week. And I know which restaurants that I used to frequent are now closed because of the fact that they couldn't, they couldn't stand up to the pressure that was coming from this. And I know a lot of states got hit harder than Wisconsin, and a lot of municipalities in Wisconsin got hit harder than the municipality I live in. Madison got fucking curb stomped by the economic fallout that came from this. They got curb stomped by that. So there's a lot of stuff to look at when you're coming, uh, coming along with this and look at this. But I know Gavin Newsom came out and said, well, any party with more than two people or more than two households is illegal or stuff like that happened in California. And people did abide by that. The small town I lived in shut down its firework celebration because reasons on July 4th. And instead, the rest of us, the residents of this town, started shooting as many fireworks as we could get our hands on off in the town. But no, we're, we're not waiting for the president to give us permission to gather. You shouldn't be waiting for the president to give you permission to gather. If you want to gather, you, uh, you accept the risk for gathering. You accept your own level of risk. And if you want to gather, that's between you and the people that you gather with. And it's time to remind the government that we are the ones in charge, not them. All right. Let's keep going here. From the Hill. Green calls Italian-American House Democrat Representative Mussolini from Jordan Williams. The mainstream media puts an outsized amount of focus on a first-term representative that has no committee assignments. You guys ever notice that? Well, of course, they need they need a new Trump, so it's got to be it's going to be Green or Bobert or someone like that. But let's see what the Hill has to say from Jordan Williams, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene called Representative David Cicilline, Rep. Mussolini after the Rhode Island Democrat proposed a rule change to block her from forcing motions to adjourn. The comment came after Greene was asked by Newsweek about a proposed rule change from Cicilline that would only allow a member to make a motion to adjourn if they are a member of a committee. Gee, I wonder who you might be talking to. The House voted to strip Green of her committee assignments last month over her previous endorsement of conspiracy theories and violence against Democratic politicians, including Speaker Pelosi. Boy, you guys are in trouble when Republicans take back over the House. When Newsweek asked about Cicilline's proposal, Green said, Do you mean Rip Mussolini? Not only did Democrats unilaterally strip away my committees, now they want to remove any powers I have to represent my district, she added. The Democrats run the House of Hypocrites with tyrannical control. Where's the lie? Cicilline responded to Green's comments on Twitter, saying, I'm an Italian and a Jew. Mussolini was the fasc uh, fascist dictator in league with Adolf Hitler, who murdered six million Jews. Marjorie Taylor Greene can get lost. Cicilline, earlier this year, served as House Manager in former President Trump's second impeachment trial. So, that's, uh, 
that's kind of an interesting way to put this here. Let's see what Newsweek had to say about this, because they went into a little... Okay, we're not going to see what Newsweek had to say about this. Because I was dumb and I didn't archive that, so we're going to miss that one. But yeah, I've... once again, what Marjorie Taylor Greene did prior to being sworn in as a congresswoman is between her and the people of her district. It's the same thing with Madison Cawthorn right now because they're trying to do that. What he did before he was sworn in is between him and the people of his district. But they're trying to go back now, forever, and trying to pin shit on these people from forever ago before they even ever thought of running for office. When the time to do that was while they were running for office, but instead they had all their, especially in Georgia, they had all their focus on Warnock and Ossoff, and they didn't give a damn about anything else that was happening out in that state. And now they're sitting here with somebody. And yes, they went back, and I'm pretty positive that it's illegal, the fact that they stripped her of her committee assignments. Members of the opposite party generally do not decide who gets the committee assignments for people of the opposite party. It just doesn't happen that way. And as far as Cicilline, yeah, he's acting like Representative Mussolini. He is. I don't care who he worships or how he worships. If he's going to act like a little fascist tyrant, then own the fascist tyrant title. That's just the end of it. But yes, we've got this outsized role, like I said at the top of the article. For a first-term representative... Who has no committee assignments. Good job, you guys. All right, I've got another one, speaking of Marjorie Taylor Greene, from the Guam Daily Post, responding to a tweet that came out of here. Congresswoman, who thought Guam is not part of the U.S., will get island cookies. From Phil Leon Guerrero of the Guam Daily Post. And before we get into this, I just want to point something out. And this is, I quote tweeted this back. When I saw this article, and I said, you know what? Do you have to be a first-term representative with no committee assignments that the media is trying to demonize in order to get these cookies? cookies rather, Because I like cookies. I've never tried island cookies before, but I like cookies. I'll take some of your cookies, Guam. I'll give them a chance. I'll see how they are. I will do a live stream of eating Guam's cookies. Just to see how they are. See what island cookies are all about. Uh, a first-time congresswoman from Georgia who is uh, mistakenly referred to Guam as foreign land when she railed against federal financial aid going overseas will soon get cookies from the island that bills itself where America's day begins. I'm a regular normal person and I wanted to take my regular normal person, normal everyday American values, which is we love our country. We believe our hard-earned tax dollars should just go for America. Not for what China, Russia, the Middle East, Guam, whatever, wherever, said Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene on February 27th at the Conservative Political Action Conference, which headlined former President Trump, if we want to build roads, if we want to put money into schools, God, I hate fucking roads, or if we want to build border walls, we want it right here at home. This is easy to me, it's easy to us, but it's not easy to Washington. Yeah. That was probably a bad take. That was probably the bad way to put this. And you should... You probably should educate yourself on what U.S. territories are before you go and run for the U.S. House of Representatives. But once again, that's between you 
and the people of Rome, Georgia. That's what I think, but I don't live in Rome, Georgia. So that's what we have for that. Let's see what CNN has to say here. House passes gun legislation that would expand background checks. From Daniela Diaz and Jessica Dean. The House passed gun legislation that would expand background checks on all commercial gun sales, marking the first congressional move on significant gun control since Democrats won the White House and the majority of both chambers of Congress. The House passed the legislation in two separate votes. The first vote on H.R. 8, the Bipartisan Background Checks Act of 2021, passed 227-203, and would expand background checks for all firearm sales or transfers in the country. That's unconstitutional. Currently, background checks are not required for gun sales and transfers by unlicensed and private sellers. Except if you go interstate or in the states of California, I believe Minnesota, Illinois, New York, and a smattering of others. And eight Republicans supported the legislation and one Democrat voting against it. The eight Republicans were Vern Buchanan of Florida, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, Maria Salazar of Florida, Andrew Garbarino of New York, Chris Smith of New Jersey, Fred Upton of Michigan, Carlos Jimenez of Florida, and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois. And the lone Democrat was Representative Jared Golden, who also voted against the COVID-19 package. Two Republicans voted for it in 2019, but did not support it this time around. Representatives Brian Mast and Mario Diaz-Balart. Separate legislation, H.R. 1446, introduced by Democratic Representative Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, and called the Enhanced Backgrounds Check of 2021, passed 218 to 210, would close what's known as the Charleston loophole, which allows some licensed gun sales to go through before required background checks is done. Using the loophole, Dylan Roof was able to legally purchase a firearm to kill nine people in a historically black church in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. Two Democrats opposed the legislation, Representatives Ron Kind of Wisconsin and Golden. And the Republicans who voted for this legislation were Representative uh, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and Chris Smith of New Jersey. And once again, why can we not do this on a local level? Why do we have to do this on a federal level every single time? Well, I know why. But seriously, with all that, they, they just keep trying to cram all this down at the top level. Let me read this from uh, Brian Kinzinger. I'm sorry, Adam Kinzinger, not Brian Kinzinger. Let me read this from Adam Kinzinger, and then we'll uh, go. I want to talk just a bit about what this means and what especially HR8 means that they're going to try and do. Uh, from Washington, D.C. Today, the House voted on H.R. 8, the Bipartisan Background Checks Act of 2021. The legislation essentially closes the gun show loophole, which I've legitimately never seen in my life, and would require any firearm transfer between unrelated, unlicensed individuals to be conducted through a licensed dealer who is required to perform background checks on the recipient as a gun owner. Those are words that somebody says right before they're about to explain away your rights. As a gun owner and strong supporter of the Second Amendment, Congressman Kinzinger has a long said back I'm sorry, has long said background checks are critical to keeping firearms out of the wrong hands. Hands that might turn them against the government. 
and thus ensuring law-abiding gun owners are not hindered when making a legal purchase. Okay. Let's look at what this is, because we've seen what CNN has to say, and now we're looking at what Kinzinger is saying about HR8. The legislation essentially closes the gun show loophole, which does not exist. And if it existed, there would be a lot more people attending gun shows than there already are. Oh, you mean I can go get this done without having to go through and wait three days or 20 days or whatever the hell the situation is? Oh, crap, I ain't going to the gun store no more. I'm just going to the gun show. There'd be a gun show every fucking weekend if that was if there was actually a gun show loophole. And furthermore, look at what they're doing here. And would require any firearm transfer between unrelated, unlicensed individuals to be conducted through a licensed dealer. Who is required to perform the background check on the recipient. Now, this isn't about the background check. When it's going from one unlicensed individual to the other. They're going to try and push this, and Twitter is going to try and tell you this is about the background check. It's not. This is a workaround for the fact that nobody likes the idea of a gun registry. A lot of people, especially uneducated people, look at this and say, well, you know, I actually, Karen, you know, I really think that they're right. I, I think that my middle schoolers would be a lot safer, okay, if, you know, we just had the... We just had a background check for these guns because these people are going out and buying guns, you know, across the table and none of them are licensed and we'd be a lot safer if we just did the background check. And Twitter is going to try and convince you that it's all about the background check. It's not. It is about making a registry. It is about knowing what gun is out there, what guns are out there, and whose hands they are in. That's what it's about. Don't let them try and slip this past your eyes coming out and talking about background checks. This is all about making a gun registry. That's all that this is. So watch what's happening with this. Watch what your government's doing and make sure that you know what your government is doing. So let's keep going. I've got one from Politico. Senate advances Becerra nomination for HHS secretary. From Alice Miranda Alstein. A divided Senate on Thursday advanced uh, Xavier Becerra's nomination to lead the Department of Health and Human Services after Maine Republican Susan Collins joined all the chamber's Democrats in backing the confirmation vote. Senate Majority Leader Charles U. Schumer filed a discharge petition to bring up the nomination after the Senate Finance Committee split along party lines on the nomination last week, creating an extra procedural hurdle. The vote on holding a confirmation vote was 51 to 48. Though Democrats have long expressed confidence that Becerra would get through, it took until Thursday morning for Joe Manchin to announce he would back the nominee soon after Collins announced her support. Both centrists cited Becerra's commitment to work on rural health issues. Becerra, the California AG, has come under fire from Republicans for his record on abortion rights and past support for Medicare for All. Manchin said he's spoken with Becerra about the nominee's pledge to uphold the law in regards to the Hyde Amendment, the long-standing ban on federal funding for abortion that Biden and other Democrats want to abolish. So Becerra's gone through, and he's given the flower language of, okay, well, we'll just support the Hyde Amendment, and we won't dare try to go and get around this in any other way. 
So we'll see from there. We got to fly through the rest of the seas here. We're running way long at this point. No, we got some time yet. Let's see what else we got here. From Reuters, Pentagon accuses Fox News host of demeaning U.S. military with anti-woman segment. And I almost didn't touch this. Because I don't care who serves. I don't. And I don't really give a fuck what Tucker Carlson has to say. Tucker Carlson is an ass. I don't like him. Not only is he my competition, but I really don't like him. But it seems that this is the most important news story of the day, despite the fact that there's literally a trial that could destroy the country going on in Minneapolis right now. This is the most important news of the day from Reuters staff. The Pentagon said Fox News host Tucker Carlson essentially demeaned the entire U.S. military with a segment that decried against a number of female service members and suggested they were weakening the U.S. armed forces. On Tuesday night, the conservative commentator showed an Air Force photo of a first lieutenant modeling a maternity uniform and said in the face of a growing threat from China, the Pentagon could lose wars by drawing in more women. While China's military becomes more masculine, our military needs to become, as Joe Biden says, more feminine, Carlson said. That's a mockery of the U.S. military. Responding on Thursday, the Pentagon said it was proud of the military's diversity and said it needed to do a better job of promoting women to senior ranks. We absolutely won't do, uh, what we absolutely won't do is take personnel advice from talk show hosts or the Chinese military, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby told reporters. Kirby said he hoped Carlson would realize the mistake he made and express some regret about the manner in which he essentially demeaned the entire U.S. military and how we defend and how we serve this country. Fox News, which is regularly broadcast to service members deployed around the world on the military's own television channel, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Here's where I stand on this. Now, I'm as gender blind as I can possibly be at this point. I do understand the fact that there are biological differences between men and women. That's the reason we're having this entire transgender conversation right now. As long as the standards for combat, and this is this goes for combat because for the most part, women are not invited to direct combat frontlines roles. Yes, they can do other jobs within the military, but it's very rare that they go to direct frontline combat. But, once again, if you're going to sign up to be a human shield, which is what a lot of people are going in and signing up to do once they're privates, unless they make a military career and go up through the top brass, they're pretty much signing up to be a human shield in order to get their college paid for. And that's honorable, too. Don't, do not take that the wrong way. That's very honorable that they are going out there and volunteering themselves to be on the front lines for America. Now, what America is doing with the army, I don't agree with. But realistically, these people going up on the front lines do deserve the honor. And I have no problem with women serving in the military as long as the standards are not lowered to try and get them in. If they can stand up to the same standards, then absolutely. Grab your gun, grab your rifle, defend your country, get your college paid for Absolutely do that. But once you start lowering the standards for the job, Tucker is technically right on that. Because if they have to start lowering the standards, then yeah, that's... 
that's definitely going to start causing some problems. So keep the standards up and whoever wants to get it and who can have, whoever can meet the army standards have at it. Have at it. All right, I've got one here from the Daily Mail. Massive line of immigrants get rafts with human smugglers across the Rio Grande crossing surge, but the Biden administration insists there's no border crisis. Shocking video shows a massive line of migrants being smuggled across the Rio Grande in Texas, despite President Joe Biden continuing to insist there's no crisis along the southern border. Come on, man! The clip, which was captured on Thursday morning by former Border Security Operations Center manager Jason Jones, shows dozens of migrants standing on an embankment as they wait for boats to bring them across the United States. The small boats appear to be operated by people smugglers concealing their identities in ski masks. Hey, you know what though? They're wearing the mask. They're COVID ready. They're wearing their mask. The footage has been shared by several politicians, including Texas Representative Chip Roy, who blasted President Biden following a surge in border crossings. He claims migrants are being used as political pawns by the Biden administration and that they're being harmed and killed, trying to reach the U.S., lured by Biden's false promise of amnesty. Excuse me. Last week, Biden claimed there was no crisis at the southern border despite customs and border protection, detaining or processing staggering 100,441 migrants in February. Nearly 10,000 of those were excuse me, unaccompanied minors. Biden's special advisor, Roberta Jacobson, admitted in a White House briefing on Wednesday that the timing of the surge was no coincidence because Biden's more humane policies have given migrants hope. Yeah, we looked at that video yesterday. Uh, let's see if we... Well, there's the pictures. There's the line of people. The rafts. Within 24 hours, Laredo North Station Border Patrol agents apprehended 111 individuals during three separate human smuggling attempts involving commercial trailers. That's got to be a shitty way to travel. Oof. Yep, here they come. So that's what we're seeing down at the border from CBS2 KUTV, Utah woman 39 dies four days after second dose of COVID-19 vaccine autopsy ordered from Heidi Hatch, KUTV staff. During a KUTV investigation into COVID-19 vaccine side effects and where to report them, we found four reported deaths filed by Utah families and their caregivers to CDC's vaccine adverse effects reporting system. One case stood out, a 39-year-old single mom from Odgen, who died four days after her second dose of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. Her family, who is now waiting an autopsy, held a celebration of her life for the past weekend. Cassidy Curl, by all accounts, was healthy, happy, and had more energy than just about anyone else around her, her family told 2 News. She had no known health problems or pre-existing conditions. Alfred Hawley, a retired Air Force base fighter pilot, is a military man who has known risk and loss his entire life. He's taken it all in stride until now. An hour before his daughter's celebration of life this past Thursday, he sat down to talk about his baby girl, the one who always wore makeup to cover the freckles he loved so much. 
I'm at a state in my life where I'm okay with that emotion, he said as he wiped a tear from his cheek. Not the first one, not the last. She was the one who promised to take care of me. And there is, I mean, this is a very emotional piece, and I don't really want to get into the emotion of this, but we're sitting here right now, and we're looking at this vaccine. People are coming out and talking about the fact that they get blood clots from this vaccine as a major side effect. We have death as a major side effect. And as far as this woman goes, I mean, was there something else underlying? The autopsy will show what's there, but for the most part, you get a vaccine and you don't die from it. And everyone I know that's actually had this vaccine got ridiculously sick from it afterwards. Just ridiculously sick from it. So we'll see what happens off the autopsy of this. I'm sure that the mainstream news isn't going to cover this at all because it doesn't go uh, with their narrative. But yeah, I have no intention to go and get this little vaccine. Not at least until I've seen a year's worth of people getting it, surviving it, no adverse effects. But I don't see that. And I'm not anti-vax. Once again... For the thousandth time, I am not anti-vax. But I do not have the required information for me to trust this particular vaccine. All right, from The Blaze, top Biden COVID advisor, I would absolutely tip my hat to Trump for Operation Warp Speed. From Breck Dumas, President Biden's White House senior advisor for COVID-19 response acknowledged on Thursday that former President Donald Trump and his administration deserved credit for the development and rollout of the coronavirus vaccines under the Operation Warp Speed. Andy Slavitt said he would absolutely tip his hat to them for their accomplishments. Slavitt told Fox News that he was grateful for the work on vaccines prior to Biden taking office, saying, I would absolutely tip my hat when asked by Post uh, Bill Hemmer about his take on the success of Operation Warp Speed. This is a scientific process that actually began more than a decade ago with scientists inside the NIH creating this mRNA vaccine, Slavitt said. He added, I think Trump administration made sure that we got in record time a vaccine up and out. That's a great thing and something that we should all be excited about. Hammer then asked Slavitt why other members of the Biden administration were talking about the shelves being empty, noting on Inauguration Day you had, what, one and a half million shots in the arms of Americans? Look, I don't think this is an effort to point fingers, Slavitt replied. So, hey, good on him. Credit where credit's due. Uh, this is the statement that Trump put out for this which I've avoided talking about at this point, but I know we're going to do on Monday, so might as well just get it up in the list for now and see. New statement by Trump on COVID-19 vaccines released. I hope everyone remembers when they're getting the COVID-19, often referred to as the China virus vaccine, that if I wasn't president, you wouldn't be getting that beautiful shot for five years at best and probably wouldn't be getting it at all. I hope everyone remembers All right, let's see. Let's talk a little bit about Oklahoma. 
Governor Stitt announces he will remove statewide COVID-19 restrictions on events. Oklahomans. From KOCO staff. Governor Ken, uh, Ken Stitt announced during a news conference on Thursday that he will issue an exclusive, uh, I'm sorry, an executive order to remove all COVID-19 restrictions on events statewide, as well as removing the requirement to wear masks in state buildings. Stitt said he will issue the new executive order on Friday. Municipal restrictions, such as Oklahoma City's mask mandate, will stay in place. Because of the progress we've made, I will be issuing a new executive order tomorrow. There will be no statewide restrictions on events or Oklahomans. I'm also removing the requirements to wear a mask in state buildings. More Oklahomans are getting vaccines each day, and the CDC's new guidelines mean wearing a mask should be a personal decision based on your circumstances, Stitt said. Stitt stressed that COVID-19 is still in Oklahoma, and Oklahomans should do their part to help prevent the spread of the virus. He encouraged people to wear a mask depending on their circumstances. The standard for normal cannot be zero cases. In Oklahoma, the standard for normal is freedom. The freedom to worship, the freedom to go to work and earn a paycheck, the freedom to visit your loved ones in nursing homes, the freedom to send your kids to school in person, and the freedom to protect your family however you see fit, Stitt said. As long as I'm governor, I will protect the freedoms of Oklahomans. So, your state buildings are now free to walk around in without the mask. Go and visit your local state building in Oklahoma. All right, let's see what else do we have here. Um, Brian Nichols put this one out here, and I wanted to touch on this for just a second here because uh, I looked at this, and uh, he says, Do you get it yet? Uh, I commented, What am I looking at other than a bunch of papers all owned by the USA Today running the same headline? And it is. It's almost the same headline. There's four of them here in a row. Tallahassee Democrat says mass shootings surge in Florida as nation faces record high. Milwaukee Journal Sentinel says mass shooting surge in Wisconsin as nation faces record high. The Tennessean says mass shooting surge in Tennessee as nation faces a record high. The Greenville News says mass shootings surge in South Carolina as nation faces a record high. There's a narrative that they're trying to push out to you, and uh, they've just swapped out the names. And I read in the uh, the Wisconsin one that they've just pretty much thrown in well, we see more mass shootings in X city and Y city. Which tells me that they're probably going to try and push more of a gun control narrative coming up here in the near future. Especially given the fact that we've seen now HR 8 and HR 1446. So watch for that and watch what the news tries to do with you here. From the blaze, Cuomo accuser, a Democrat, blames her own party for hatred spewed on Twitter against alleged victims. And last reminder here before the end of the show that if you are just lurking right now, get at least one message in so I can come in and see that you're watching. And thank you kindly for watching the show because we read the live chat on Friday and the names of everybody who chatted throughout the week as well. So get that last minute message in so I can give you the proper thank you. From me to you, thank you for watching my program. Cuomo accuser, a Democrat, blames her own party for hatred spewed on Twitter against his alleged victims. From Carlos Garcia. One of the many accusers of sexual harassment against Democratic Governor Andy Cuomo of New York called out the Democratic Party over a Twitter influencer who had tried to undermine her credibility and was later revealed to be paid for his tweets. Lindsay Boylan, herself a Democrat, called out the Democrat Party for using women while pretending to defend them. 
Boylan referred specifically to Majid Padilla, uh, Padelan, rather, a Twitter influencer paid by a pro-Biden political action group, that had previously implied there were ulterior motives to her accusations against Cuomo. That is, by the way, Brooklyn Dad Defiant. Boylan tweets, We women have received tremendous hate since M.M. Padelan negated our harassment claims against the governor. He called us props and tools. Our party, the Democrats, and the Dem Coalition and affiliates must stop uh, paying for hatred spewed at women who come forward. No, no, it's not women who come forward. It's women who come forward against Democrats. They love women coming forward, just as long as they're pointing their ire at somebody who doesn't have a D next to his name. Uh, honestly, my own party uses women as it pretends to defend us. Do better. Stop paying for jerks to hate on us. We will follow the money and respond, she added in a second tweet. In December, she revealed in a series of tweets that she had been sexually harassed numerous times by Cuomo, for whom she had formerly worked as a uh, special advisor. Soon after, Padellan implied in a now-deleted tweet that the timing of the accusations coincided with an investigation into former President Donald Trump by the Manhattan DA's office. And that's where we got the blue anon theory that, uh, oh, well, it's just, they're, they're forming a cabal to take over the government to get President Trump pardoned. Oh my God. They're going to, they're going to get, they're going to get Cuomo out of there. They're going to get a Republican in there. In a state that contains Albany and New York City, by the way. The only person who could pardon Trump for, uh, from a conviction in New York is the governor. Kind of makes you wonder about the timing. Read the tweet. Yeah, that dude's a fucking tool and a douchebag. And he always has been. And once again, I don't... None of the accusations that have come, have come forward against Cuomo at this point, I don't think any of them could stand up in court. They all suck. But I don't think any of them could stand up in court. But keep in mind, we're not talking about the nursing homes either. All right, and the last one here is this bizarre story that I don't usually take from the Daily Beast because they kind of suck. But I just saw this bizarre story, and you guys all like independent media, and Tim Pool is kind of independent media. So I thought you guys would enjoy this story here. YouTube star Tim Pool's news site collapses amid allegations he took a cat hostage from Will Summer. Because why wouldn't it be Will Summer? All is not well in the burgeoning media empire of YouTube political commentator Tim Pool, amid an acrimonious falling out over who controls the future of digital news site that Pool helped launch. The YouTube star is facing accusations from former partners that he used a cat named Betsy as a hostage in business negotiations, only handing the pet over after police were called. He's trying to use my cat as leverage, said Emily Molly, Betsy's owner and former pool business partner. I can't wait to listen to the Tim Pool podcast and see what he has to say about this. I might listen to that at 1x speed, because I do most of my podcasts at 2x speed. I might listen to that at normal speed. Poole said he never had custody of the cat, whose return to Molly was eventually arranged through an animal shelter and a Maryland sheriff's lieutenant. When he's not facing cat-related accusations, Poole is living the life of a YouTube star. 
His video is based on Poole's background as a liberal reporter who became a Trump voter after feeling alienated from the modern left, have amassed more than 1.1 billion cumulative views. He has a million-dollar mansion in the Maryland woods, complete with a podcast studio and a skate park. Trump invited him to the White House. Poole's business has boomed even as he faces accusations that he's a major vector for right-wing disinformation. A recent report from a consortium of election integrity groups listed Poole alongside the likes of Donald Trump Jr. and pro-Trump lawyer Sidney Powell as a super spreader for false election information that doesn't appear to dissuade his more than 3 million YouTube subscribers who can pay $21.99 for a t-shirt bearing the image of Poole's trademark beanie. The allegations that Poole used a cat as a bargaining chip in a business dispute go beyond the fate of Betsy, who is now back with Molly in Los Angeles. The fracas sheds a new light on how Poole and his co-founders failed to launch a new site amid infighting, despite more than a million dollars in crowdfunded backing. This year was supposed to be the time that Poole's news company approached 50 staffers and opened satellite offices in Los Angeles and Chicago. According to a pitch desk shown to investors, instead Poole has wondered whether his site even exists anymore or uh, as a going concern. Yeah... People are starting to see through what Pool is. And I mean, I do like to listen to Pool because he's a really, really good aggregator. I half the time don't agree with what he has to say. I think he is kind of a Trump shill at this point. But it's also really, really convenient to go down and look through Pool's news stories and say, okay, well, this is what my audience is probably going to find uh, useful and informative. So let's do a little bit of a deeper dive. And you'll notice, like, I don't actually use Tim Pool as a reference for anything. But I do use him, use him as an aggregator. I'm like, okay, this is what the people are talking about. This is what the people want to talk about. So let's throw this, 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 and this on the agenda. But, hey, don't worry. Milk those fence-sitter. Southside of Chicago. Mixed-race family. What, what, are, what are his other mannerisms? What are his other go-to things? That he tries to use to come out and say that he's not a fucking millionaire. That he's really just one of us. I don't know. But that's what we have here. Alright, and that's it for the news for the day here. So the last thing that we're going to do today is read the messages and the names of everybody who chatted throughout the week here. So if you're getting those last minute messages in, make sure that you get them in so they can get read here. If you're just watching and lurking right now. But we'll get up to the top of here. Before we do that, we'll give you some time to get those last-minute messages in and read for the week. On Monday, we had Ron Helton, Spartan, 0000, Superior 1. Quest Fanning was here. Silent Caster was here. Flant Corp, our resident progressive, was in here. Didn't like the fact that I called 200,000 deaths or whatever he said as a C-. Well, I need a citation on that. Nephilim Ninja showed up. Uh, not scores. That was a new name in here. Thanks for coming and hanging out. And Chilaga1984. On Tuesday, we had Chilaga, Quest Fanning, Ron Helton, Mad Cow Mark, our friend from the other side of the world. Flan Corp was in here once again. EOR Explorers. That was a new name. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Quirky19163 was in here. Also a new name. I'm afraid that might have been a bot, but, you know, we welcome their kind too. We don't discriminate based on machine status. Otherwise, we would have the Matrix happening once again. 
our Volt 24 was here, and Stephen Ignoramus also came and hung out at the beginning of the show. On Wednesday, we had Spartan 0000 Superior, Ron Helton. Chilaga1984. We had a very Asian-sounding name, and I looked at it right now, and I realized that it's just an Asian way of spelling you and me. Y-U-U-A-N-D-M-I. You and me. I kind of like that. I enjoyed that. Uh, Quest Fanning was here. Brett SG wanted me to watch a music video, which I did not watch. Especially not on the air without being able to vet it. You don't know what's going to pop in there and what's going to get you demonetized on YouTube. And remember, we're also going to YouTube, too. Because Brett SG was over on the Twitch side. Jessica Green was in here. Nephilim Ninja of Nibiru was in here. And PV123. Thursday was kind of a slow day, though. So... We'll make sure we do some more trial stuff here. But on Thursday, we had Octane is Speedy. Chilaga1984, Ron Helton was here. And Sully Blue rounded out our Thursday. Let's see what you guys are doing today here. Nephilim Ninja is here. Morning to you, sir. Ron Helton, Bitcoin is just an indication. The dollar is near worthless. Other than that, it's not good to hold. Well, I hold a little bit of it. And I'm going to hold a little bit more of it. I'm more concerned about Dogecoin. Because Dogecoin is all the rage. Should put all of your life savings into Dogecoin. Don't do that. Don't put all your life savings into anything. But there is a reason that I am putting that uh, up on the screen every day and talking about it every day. A, Spartan likes it. And I like it when Spartan comes and watches my show. But B, and this is the more important part, just like Ron said, it is an indication the dollar is near worthless. And we can see just how worthless the dollar is becoming by looking at how much people are looking into an alternative currency that's not backed by the federal government. Although I'm pretty sure they're going to go out and try and buy that at some point. It is an indicator of how worthless the dollar is, and that is something we need to pay attention to, is how worthless the dollar is. Quest Fanning is here. It agrees with Ron. If you can get $55,000 for your Bitcoin, then take it. No guarantees that this clown train will continue. That in crypto is more traceable. Some crypto guy paid $69 million for a digital piece of art. This bizarre world. Yeah. Nephilim says, penetrating zones is specifically what I do best. Ah, <laughs> uh, He also says, how can you be an adult and not see any of this? I question the truthiness of their claims. Callous indifference to the welfare of others. Okay, yeah, that was the third degree murder thing. Punishment should fit the crime. Put Chauvin in the same stressful situation. Yeah, the problem is, is in front of a jury of his peers, the charges that they have against him, I don't think stick. And I do think that there were charges there. I just don't think that the three that they put up have a chance in front of a jury. Unless the media has completely poisoned the jury's minds. That's the only way that they have a chance in front of them. Guilty, no jury duty for me. Uh, Neff says the jury will be targeted if they don't like their opinions after it's said and done. Yeah, probably. Distrifo says, are you pro-abortion? I am not. I'm pro-life. I just don't want the government to be involved in getting it there because the government sucks at everything. Ron Helton's got some weird stickers from over on Trovo. It looks like Pepe with its tongue sticking out. Plus he's got the DLive stickers, AOC, and the sticker that used to be, but is no more. Quest Fanning says, pro-abortion, that's horrible. I can see someone being pro-choice and admitting it's horrible when they feel the need to have an abortion, but pro-abortion, yikes, most are pro-life. 
Uh, Neff says, LOL, even asking that, it should, uh, asking it that way should twitchy behavior. A little twitchy. Guam cookies are back, Guano. Hey, you know what? To each their own, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to denounce a society until I've walked a mile in their moccasins or shoes or whatever the hell they wear over there. Funny how the media doesn't ridicule that more on AOC. Shalaga says that's her Aleppo moment. Yeah, probably. Neff says they should just sell non-lethal guns. That would be way safer. <laughs> uh, Ron says not my government. It's illegitimate operating outside the limits of the Constitution. Yes, yes. All government from local to federal is out of control. He has a point, though. Add too many females in combat units is not good. Well, yeah, that's... It comes to me with the thing that Tucker said on that. That is, whoever can pick up the gun and meet the physical requirements that the job requires should be able to get up and do so. Yes, statistically, more men are going to be able to fit those those physical requirements. But once again, don't lower the requirements to get more diversity in there. You need to have the same level of requirements all the time. Neff says, I think a military breeding program is a uh, great idea. He also says, better spies on honeypots than men. The goal is to win. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, bang, 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 I guess. Uh, Quest does bring up a good point, though. Don't they have to lower standards because they don't have enough recruits for the armed forces? If we excluded women, the pool would be even smaller and standards would have to be lowered more. That's fair. I, that, that is a big, long debate. But I do want my military to be as strong as possible and in my country. Not everywhere else around the world. In my country. And you know how we would... Uh, you know how would we would alleviate the fact that we don't have enough recruits? Bring those fuckers home. Quest Fanning, that's got to be a shitty way to travel. Edgar's always kind-hearted. Dude, I work on trucks and trailers. I know how hard that trailer bounces. Especially a dry van like that that doesn't have any insulation. That thing weighs almost nothing. And the amount of people that you can fit in that trailer is not going to weigh down the suspension enough to overcome the bounce that's in the suspension. Watch your trailers go by when you're driving down the road sometime. Watch your trailers go by. You can tell which ones are empty and which ones aren't. Especially if it's a dry van. If it's a reefer, it's a little bit harder because they're a little bit heavier with the insulation and the reefer unit. But yeah, a dry van like that Bouncing down the shitty Mexico roads. How many people do you think don't survive that trip just because they got bounced and broke their fucking neck when the driver hit a bump somewhere? That is a horrible way to travel. Ron Helton says, no, that woman didn't die of the vaccine. Just a coincidence. But hey, if you had cancer and COVID, then you died of the COVID. That's absolutely true. At least there is a nice way, uh, a nice looking face to put to this travesty of an experimental drug. Oof. That's a little bit spicy. 
Shilaga says, I'm not sure how people can take all the pro-vaccine propaganda and not question how strange the push is for experimental vaccine, especially if you've had COVID and it was the sniffles at best. Ron Helton says, all adults will not be jabbed by May 1st, bumbling Biden. Come on, Ron. Take your little bit of government medicine. Biden is saying that everyone will be jabbed by May 1st. Just trust the plan, all right? Uh, Ron confirms there was no statewide mask mandate, only applied to state buildings. Yeah, most of the blue cities will still have requirements, though. Yeah, yeah, they will. And that's completely within their realm of authority. And the people who are sick of it will go to the places that don't have it. It's the same with Texas and what we saw from the Austin dude yesterday. How pissed off he was that Abbott lifted the mask mandate. But I will give him credit on that because Ken Paxton decided to file a lawsuit against him requiring that he disarm his mask mandate too. And I don't like that because, no, the state of Texas shouldn't be doing that either. If Austin wants to have a mask mandate, then Austin can do a mask mandate. And the people of Austin are free to leave and go to Amarillo or where the fuck else they go that doesn't have the mandate. Uh, let's see. RH says, all the same authors, boilerplate story with numbers modified for each state and cities. Don't forget cities. Thank you, R.H. I gotta, is R.H. Ron Helton under another account? Because you've got the same initials. Uh, Ron took no tests, just went by the symptoms. The tests were garbage on day one. Quest says the gun control hasn't worked. How is more going to work? How stupid can these Muppets be? Pretty stupid. Their goal is to confiscate our weapons and control every move. Those are people who are scared of their own shadow. Quest says, I very much doubt he's from Brooklyn. I saw Christmas photos of his front yard. Sure didn't look like Brook uh, the Brooklyn I live in. Ron hates the government. Shilaka says, same people trying to take guns are hiding behind fences and armed guards, but we've already discussed that hypocrisy. I heard that the Brooklyn dad lives in Jersey. I blocked him when I ran across him on Twitter. I still see what he... I don't follow him, but I do see what he says because he trends all the time because the DNC is paying him to fucking trend. Neff says, isn't he Korean? Yikes it. Oh, no. Come on, Neff. Come on, Neff. All right, I do have to say that one out loud, though, because it was hilarious. Neff! Isn't he Korean? I, yikes, I bet he was going to boil it. Talking about the cat. The Daily Commie Report. Can you imagine somebody paying you 60000 for a conservative or libertarian tweets? It's laughable, and it's the exact opposite. They'll silence you. Ron says, strange that pool hasn't been canceled yet. Must be a useful tool for the left. Well, he is a tool. Matt Cow Marks has a great show. Well, thanks for coming in and hanging out. So is he canceled now? Well, he still has a podcast because it still keeps flowing into my iPod. Quest says, Brooklyn Dad tricked his benefactors. He only occasionally gets the traction you'd expect from a very large account. All bot followers. Seawall rides into the chat at the end. Thank you, Seawall, for coming in. No, local government does not have the authority. People need to reject these clowns and their orders. That is not true. Local government does have the authority. 
As long as their law is more stringent than the state law, they do have the authority to make their own laws. That's the way federalism works. It's the same way the uh, country is supposed to work, but the people in Washington, D.C. have forgotten about that. Uh, Quest Fanning says, how many people do you think will wear masks until Biden's 100-day ask, 12 noon on April 30th? A bunch. There are a bunch of people that still believe everything the government tell them, so there are a bunch of people who are still going to do that. And that is it. One hour and 30 minutes, because we had to spend so much time on the Chauvin trial, but you guys were awesome. Thanks for coming and hanging out with me for the week. We're going to head on out of here for the day, so let's get this up here. Get the scene changed, get the music started, and let's go. All right, and thanks to everybody who came and hung out at the end here. See, while coming in at the end, and everybody else who came and uh, hung out with me throughout the day and through the week as well. I've got no plans for a weekend show right now because I got some stuff I've got to get taken care of. I ran out of chicken broth this week, so I got to go and get some more of that made up and done up. And I might go to my mom's house for that because my stove, for whatever reason, doesn't get hot enough to boil the canning uh, pot. So we'll get that, that going here. Maybe we'll do some uh, live streams or Instagram stuff to come back and show you the cooking side of things. I would love to uh, share some more of that with you. If you guys aren't following me on Instagram, by the way, the uh, handle is autoworkerslim, A-U-T-O-W-O-R-K-E-R-S-L-I-M. And, I mean, we've got the stream on here for that, but uh, we've also do some uh, some various other things like uh, cooking stuff and pictures and whatnot. So let me get that up there for you guys. But yeah, we'll do some live streams over there and maybe some exclusive stuff there. If I get more people following me over on Instagram, I'll start doing some exclusive stuff over there for you guys as well. So just as a reward for doing that, letting you into a little bit more of my life here. But uh, we will for sure see you guys back here on Monday for more Contemporary and the Red Ned show as well. Elaine will be back. There was just a little bit of a mix up in the family there. So she had to sit out for the week, but uh, she will be back on Monday for the Red Ned show as well, where we're going to come back and talk about the Chauvin trial. Uh, some of this other goofy shit that's happened around the country, the stimulus bill, and a whole bunch more. So definitely looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing you guys next week then. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. <laughs>